الحمد لله الحمد لله الخالق الوجود من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومخرج الصبر من الألم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي ونسلم على رسوله الأكرم بالشرف الأشم والنور الأتم وكمال النبيين والكتاب المحكم سيد ولد آدم الذي بشر به عيسى بن مريم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يرفع قواعد بيت الله المحرم والذي بارك الله به كافة الناس العرب منهم العجم فسبحان الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكبره تكبيرا أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قل من يكلؤكم بالليل والنهار من الرحمن بل هم عن ذكر ربهم معرضون أم لهم آلهة تمنعهم من دوننا لا يستطيعون نصر أنفسهم ولا هم منا يسحبون بل متعنا هؤلاء وآباءهم حتى طال عليهم العمر أفلا يرون أنا نأتي الأرض ننقصها من أطرافها أفهم الغالبون قل إنما أنذركم بالوحي ولا يسمع الصم الدعاء إذا ما ينذرون ولئن مستهم نفحة من عذاب ربك من عذاب ربك ليقولن يا ويلنا إنا كنا ظالمين ونضع الموازين القسط ليوم القيامة فلا تظلم نفس شيئا وإن كان مثقال حبة من خردل أتينا بها أتينا بها وكفى بنا حاسبين ولقد آتينا موسى وهارون الفرقان وضياء وضياء وذكرا للمتقين الذين يخشون ربهم بالغيب وهم من الساعة مشفقون وهذا ذكر مبارك أنزلناه أفأنتم له منكرون Respected audience, dear brothers and sisters, I would like to start off with mentioning the importance of what we're doing here. Uh, you know, many a times when we get into the habit of doing something and it is repeated time and again, uh, we can at times tend to lose the value of what we're doing and the value of that gradually starts to diminish from, from our hearts. And that is how shaitan sort of gains the upper hand upon us and takes away the, the, the consistency that we have in our a'mal. 
And the most important thing is to understand and to realize that we're being associated with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It comes about the Sahaba radhwanullahi ta'ala alayhi wajma'een that when they would think about starting the recitation of the Qur'an, their, heart, their hands would start to shake, their hearts would tremble with awe and fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they would say, هَذَا كَلَامُ رَبِّي هَذَا كَلَامُ رَبِّي Indeed, this is the word of my Lord. So we, in a way, are being associated with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where we have been given the tawfiq to sit for a few moments and ponder over the meanings of the books of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As you might have heard time and again, that the complaint that Rasulullah, the only complaint that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam will lodge against his ummah on the day of Qiyamah will be, Ya Rabbi, inna qawm ittakhadu hadha al-Qur'ana mahjura that, oh my Allah, my people have put their backs towards the Qur'an, towards the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The background of these verses is that they were revealed pertaining to the people of Mecca, that whenever they would come across Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam busy with the recitation of the Qur'an, they would try not to hear verses of the Qur'an, they would immediately turn and walk away from the majlis and the gathering of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. How can that be implemented in this current day, age and time is that we as Muslims do not make the necessary effort to understand the meanings of the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is, by, that is why in multiple places in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned the aspect of pondering. The aspect of pondering that it is not just mere recitation of the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, rather it is pondering over the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because in a way it happens to be a direct form of communication between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The only problem is that many a times the communication is one-sided. The hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it's a hadith Qudsi basically which mentions that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala replies back when a servant of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala engages in the recitation of the Qur'an. فَإِذَا قَالَ الْعَبْدُ وَالْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ That when the slave says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, which is basically the start of Surah Al-Fatiha, the response comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is, Hamidani abdi, Indeed, my servant has glorified me. It's a lengthy hadith which mentions all the answers which are given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as we go on with the recitation of the Qur'an. So it's very, very important for us to understand what we're doing here. When we're taking this time out, we should know that we're busying ourselves with the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And with that should come the respect of the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within our hearts. Now going to the tafsir of the verses that we'll be covering today, there needs to be a specific aspect which is needed to be covered before we move on to the tafsir of the ayat that we have today, which is understanding the background of the city of Mecca. As we know, Rasulullah came in a time when there was complete darkness in the world. That people were ignorant, as ignorant as they can be. They did not know how to read and write. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a glimpse of their crimes in the Quran when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, وَإِذَا الْمَوْؤُودَةُ سُئِلَتْ بِأَيِّ ذَنْبٍ قُتِلَتْ That when the daughter that had been buried alive, they would consider the daughters to be a burden on them and a burden upon civilization. You know, we sort of see that mentality being reiterated these days. We might have noticed that back, during, back in the COVID days, 
people would try to uh, sort of present the elderly people, specifically the people who are in the nursing homes, as a burden upon society and, uh, and upon civilization. And that is where the problem starts from. So the people of Mecca, them being ignorant, would consider their daughters to be a burden upon them, a financial burden, and also a burden upon civilization. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran that when the daughter that had been buried alive would come, would, 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 would present itself in front of the father on the day of judgment and it will ask that in which crime, in lieu of which crime uh, did you kill me? And they used to be proud of their ignorance. They used to say, that nobody dare teach us ignorance. Because if you try to teach us ignorance, we'll give you a better lesson in ignorance. Wars would start over petty disputes. And it would end up in bloodshed for hundreds and hundreds of years. So this was the scenario of the city of Mecca pre-prophethood before the arrival of Rasulullah wasallam. Now just imagine for a second that when the first wahi comes upon Rasulullah, it was the habit of Rasulullah that he would try to disengage himself from the, from the problems of the society that he was living in and he would try to exclude himself and spend some time in solitude. That is why it is very, very important for us to have a time on a daily basis which we spend pondering over the a'mal that we do on a daily basis. That is called muraqaba. There is a specific type of muraqaba which is called muraqabatul maut. Muraqabatul maut is basically the remembrance of death. Is when you sit down and you reflect upon the occurrences that will happen to you <coughs> when you will die. It's called muraqabatul maut. And then there's a general muraqaba in which we sit down and we think about all the a'mal that we have done throughout our day. A lot of times we say things, we do things. While doing those things, we don't even think about them as, as anything. They're, they're basically not significant in any way and in manner But when you think about it later on You start to regret doing those things And that is how a lot of times our actions, they slip And that's how shaitan sort of gains an upper hand upon us So it's very important for us to do muraqaba So it was the habit of Rasulullah That he would disengage himself And would go for days at a time Spending his time in the cave of Ghari Hira And that is when the first revelation Came down upon Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam In which Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala He starts off by saying Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq Now just imagine for a second That just like I mentioned It was a society of Ummiyun Ummiyun are a people that cannot read and write And here the angel Jibreel Alayhi Salam Is coming down This is the first wahi that is being revealed and what is the first order that is being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The order is to read. Iqra. Iqra and to read in the name of your Lord. Iqra bismi rabbika alladhi khalaq. The Lord that created you. And the response from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as you may have heard time and again was Ma ana biqari'in. I, I can't read. So what happened? Fa'akhadani fa'ghattani hatta balagha minni al-jahad. He took me and he squeezed me so hard until I thought that I will be suffocated to death. Now, you know, a lot of times we think, you know, when you hear of a situation unfolding, and you think, oh, if I was there at that time, I would have done such and such thing. Can you imagine for a second that you're alone? Nobody around you for miles and miles. Those of you who have been to Ghari Hira probably know what I'm talking about. Now, in, in this current day and age, you probably cannot even see the Kaaba. And the city of Mecca back in the days was just around the Mataf. The houses of the inhabitants of the people of Mecca were just around the Mataf. It was no bigger or larger or longer than that. 
It's not how we see it in our present day scenario. So imagine there's no help for miles and miles and a strange creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes and starts to suffocate you. Only a Nabi can persevere in such a time. And then the first wahi came down by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Bear with me for a second as I take you back. And this requires a certain amount of time traveling where you imagine these things and these situations unfolding. So after this first wahi, Rasulullah went back to Khadija radiallahu an, in which he's in, and then he says to her, Zamiluni, Zamiluni, cover me, uh, cover me. Thumma fatar al wahyu, as is the word of the hadith, that then wahi stopped for a brief period of time. And then after this brief pause, the wahi comes down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which Allah says, Ya ayyuhal muddathir, qum fa'andir. The first wahi was directed towards Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam himself. The command at that time was specifically being addressed to Rasulullah. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, "Qum fa'andir." Get up and what do you have to do? What is the task at hand? It is to instill the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into the hearts of the people. Now how is it possible that you instill the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without making it public? So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam starts off with whom? With his close relatives. You know, nowadays in times of need, they are probably the last people that we want to turn to. It's like the scales have been tipped. They've been turned upside down. And when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was explaining the height of akhlaq, the problem is nowadays we have sort of come to associate akhlaq, good character or good manners with a smiley face. So anyone who smiles, we say, Iske akhlaq kitne Oh, what a good person. He has very good akhlaq. Why? Because he's smiling. But smiling is a natural habit of humans, which definitely, you know, as we say, common sense is not so common anymore. So the things which were just human are not so humane anymore. So that's why the standards have come down to a level that when someone smiles, we think that's good akhlaq. No, that's your natural tendency to be human, to act in a humane way and form. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam set down the criteria for good akhlaq, he said, "Innama bu'ithu li utammima makarim al-akhlaq that have been sent down as a seal for all good akhlaq at the height of nobility and good character." What does he say? "Ahsin ilaman asaa ilayk." Do good to the ones who do bad to you. It's not like when someone does good to me and I do good to you, and this is a mutual understanding that we have. You know, when you have this natural practice of exchanging gifts. So when a family comes over to your home or your dwelling and they give you, they present a gift to you, you keep it in mind. And you're like, okay, the next time we go, we have to take a gift over to them. And that's how the cycle keeps on going. Here, when the criteria is being set down, what is being said is doing good to the ones who want to turn away from you. Join the ties of kinship with who? With the ones who are nice to you, the ones who come to your home regularly? No. The ones who want to break the bond of kinship. So it is our responsibility as Muslims to reach out first, not to wait for other people to reach out to us. So the, 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 the first people that Rasulullah turned to were his relatives. And just to give you an idea of the type of people he was dealing with, so he gathered them in one place and he raised himself on a plateau on, on an elevated surface. And as was the habit, the customary habit of the Arabs of that time, that whenever they wanted to make an important announcement, they would start off with saying, Wa sabaha means that what a wretched morning. And this was usually used to take the attention of people, to attract the attention of the people. And then Rasulullah said that what is your opinion about me? So 
as we know, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and a Sayyidu will the Adam wala faqra, the best of the creation from, from amongst the progeny of Adam alayhi salam, and he was not proud, neither was he arrogant about it. He was at the height of good akhlaq and good manners. So naturally, the, the feelings that people have towards him are also positive. So they said, Anta sadiq wa anta lameen, you are the trustworthy. We trust you, you always told the truth. So then Rasulullah said that if I told you that behind this elevated surface was an army which is waiting to pounce upon you and finish you from the beginning till the end, will you believe me? They said, yes, naturally. So the announcement he makes, this is his part of instilling the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into the hearts of the people. He said, فَإِنِّي نَذِيرٌ لَكُمْ بَيْنَ يَدَيْ عَذَابٍ شَدِيدٍ That verily I, I come bearing news of a painful punishment which may befall you, why? If you deny and you don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what was the response? The first person that was to get up was family. Who was he? He was the uncle of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Abu Lahab. What does he say? Tabban laka ya Muhammad, na'udhu billah. jama'tana, may ruination be upon you, O Muhammad. Is this is why you have gathered us here? To waste our time? Na'udhu billah. So this is where the height of ignorance started. And this is just the beginning. You know, when a person is, is, is being ridiculed by strangers, it usually doesn't matter. Sometimes it does matter when they're saying hurtful things. But you, you maybe dwell upon it for a few moments, a few hours, and then you forget about it. But when the ridicule comes from the close relatives, that's unbearable. It's something that you, not, you do not forget for the rest of your life. And as the Sha'ir says, جِرَاحَاتُ السِّنَانِ لَهَا إِلْتِئَامٌ وَلَا يَلْتَامُ مَا جَرَحَ اللِّسَانُ That the wounds that are inflicted by the swords are usually healed over time. You know, if, if you ever got, got a cut, uh, you give it some time, you give it a week or so, and then it heals. And at times, the effects are completely erased. You can never see it again. Then he says, وَلَا يَلْتَامُ مَا جَرَحَ اللِّسَانُ But the wounds that are inflicted by the tongue, Never ever wear away. And that is why when Harith, who was the cousin of Rasulullah he used to frequently compose ashar uh, against Rasulullah. This was their form of communication. Are you familiar with cancel culture? You know, cancel culture, it's a term that we use when you want, when, when, when you want to publicly cancel someone. That was their way of cancel culture, that they would compose ashar, they, they would compose poetry about people, and then they would make it public. That's how they would completely cancel you from society. So Harith was the cousin of Rasulullah and used to frequently, on a, on a, on a weekly basis, compose Ash'ar against Rasulullah And on the day of Fath Makkah, the conquest of Makkah, which is also very important, it's, it's upcoming in the, the verses. On the day of the conquest of Makkah, when Harith came to, to seek forgiveness from Rasulullah Rasulullah turned his face away. Until his wife had to come and intercede on his behalf. And then he later on accepted Islam. And as the wording of the hadith says, حَسُنَ إِسْلَامُهُ He became a very good Muslim. So, the first person to ridicule him was his own uncle, Abu Lahab. He says, تَبَّنْ لَكَ يَا هَذَا أَلِهَذَا جَمَعْتَنَا That, O oh Muhammad, may ruination be upon you, is this is why you have gathered us here. So, now coming down to the two categories of surahs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed in the Qur'an, there are surahs that are known as Makiyah. Surah Makiyah are the ones that were revealed during the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam in Makkah al-Mukarramah, and the topics that are mainly covered in the Surah Makiyah 
are usually pertaining to calling people towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because you're dealing with a certain category of people who constantly deny. No matter what happens, whatever miracles that you present before them. Take the example of that the, the moon was split for them because Abu Jahal would constantly demand from Rasulullah that Ya Muhammad, in kunta nabiyyan sadiqan that O Muhammad, if verily you are a truthful prophet, if you're a prophet who's telling the truth, then you should split the moon in half. And that also happened for them. But no matter what proof was given to them, they would usually increase in the power of their denying. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would constantly mention verses in the Quran which would call them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala known as ad-da'watu ila Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ya ayyuhan nas u'budu rabbakum alladhi khalaqakum o you o creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's directed towards the muslims and the non-muslims worship your create your creator who has created you and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions proofs of his existence alladhi ja'ala lakum al-arda firasha the one who paved the ground for you so that you can walk on it smoothly. And then he created the sky over you like a roof. And he sent down water from the skies so that crops could be grown. So these are the proofs of the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they're being mentioned to call them to call them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So here in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala starts off with that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying to the disbelievers that who is the one that guards you day and night? You know, the only reason why we're able to exist on this planet in this current day and age is because of the sheer mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because of the protection that we have been granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As the mafum of the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa mentions that we would have been ripped into smithereens had it not been for the protection that we are granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the jinnat and the shayateen are constantly around us trying to gain the upper hand. You know, many a times a person, you know, I'm sure you've heard of the stories where they say, that I barely avoided death. First off, there is no such thing as you being saved from death because uh, that when your time comes, it's not going to be delayed. So there's no such thing as you being saved from death. It was simply not written for you. But at the same time, many a times you, you see something unfolding before you or you come across yourself, you find yourself in a situation where you were barely inches away from death. What protected you? It is the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala which keeps everything in check. So just like the, I, I gave the example of the shayateen, they're extremely powerful. If Allah would have given them the power, they would have ripped us apart. It's only because of the protection that we are granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we're able to stay sane and we're, we're, we're able to stay in one single piece. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ مَنْ يَكْلَأُكُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ مِنَ الرَّحْمَانِ That who is it that shall guard you by night and by daylight from the judgment of the All-Merciful? And this has been given specifically, it's, it's, it, the address is to the people of Mecca, that O oh, people of Mecca, the only thing you do is deny. And not only do you deny, you torture the people who go against you and believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
You know the, the, the verse in the Quran, the example that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave about them is وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ مَنَعَ مَسَاجِدَ اللَّهِ أَنْ يُذْكَرَ فِي هَسْمُهُ وَسَعَى فِي خَرَابِهَا أُولَٰئِكَ مَا كَانَ لَهُمْ أَنْ يَدْخُلُوهَا إِلَّا خَائِفِينَ That who's transgressing could be more severe than the example of those people who stop the, the worshippers of Allah, the slaves of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to frequent the masajid. And this is the example of the people of Makkah that they would not let the Sahaba and Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam pray peacefully in Makkah. We have heard the stories of the torture and the physical and mental abuse that Rasulullah had to face at the hands of the people of Makkah. The incident in which Rasulullah was praying in, in, in the Haram and Abu Jahl said that who can go to such and such locality where they have slaughtered a camel and bring the intestines of the camel. And place it on the back of Rasulullah. Na'udhu billah. You know, it, it, it is the same body upon which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has taken an oath upon. How beloved and dear is that body to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wadduha wal layli idha saja ma wadda'aka rabbuka wa ma qala. So a person goes, a shaqi, he goes, an unfortunate one goes and he brings and he places that on the back of Rasulullah. So much so that Rasulullah was nearly suffocated to death. And then Fatima radiallahu anha came. And she took that off the back of Rasulullah. Or the example of Abu Jahal when he placed a sheet in the neck of Rasulullah and his intention was to strangle Rasulullah And Abu Bakr came to the rescue of Rasulullah and he says, Do you want to kill a person just because he says that my Lord is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So these people were invested in the throngs of idol worshipping. This was their habit. This is something that they were born upon and they were not ready to forsake it at any cost. No matter how much truth was put before them. And you know normally when a person stands for something good and when you're being tortured in the face of that or even when someone comes and argues with the mentality that you stand upon you feel something positive when you stand your ground. But here you have the example of the people who simply themselves Specifically, this is mentioned about the leaders of Makkah That they themselves did not believe in idol worshipping You have the example of Abu Jahal In which Rasulullah comes and calls him towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He rejects and Rasulullah turns away And Abu Jahal turns to the person who's next to him And he says that I know him better than I know my son That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran يَعْرِفُونَهُ كَمَا يَعْرِفُونَ أَبْنَاءَهُمْ This was mentioned about the Jews. That they recognize Rasulullah better than they recognize their own sons. So Abu Jahl turns to the person next to him and then he says that Wallahi, I know that the message that's being given by Muhammad is the truth. But the only reason why I don't believe in him is because leadership will be taken away from me. There's a similar example of Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul. Abdullah bin Ubay bin Salul was the head of the Munafiqeen in Medina. He said a similar thing, that if I believe wholeheartedly, he was a hypocrite, he said if I believe wholeheartedly in the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Asatul Medina, the leadership of Medina will be taken away from me. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that you transgress the limits of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You go on disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you deny the message of the Qur'an, the Qur'an is in direct communication with you Calling you towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And still Because the word, the key word here being Allah says That minar rahman 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is merciful, yet still you're under the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The key word here being yakla'ukum. Gala'a means under the protection. It was the habit of the people of the past that if they have committed a certain crime in a certain locality, they would not pass through that locality out of fear of repercussions. So what they would do, they would seek gala'a. They would seek protection from someone else, from someone who was powerful and someone who can protect them. And then they would cross through that city. Um, and this is something that Rasulullah also had to do upon return from Ta'if. When Rasulullah left Mecca towards Ta'if, and he intended to call them towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and they rejected his message, Rasulullah was not able to enter Mecca until he took the protection of someone. Because he feared persecution at the hands of the people of Mecca. So back in, 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 in those days, people would seek the protection. Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you have been granted the protection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala laylan wa naharan, regardless of the actions that are being committed upon you. But the response, you know, when someone does, does good to you or does ihsan upon you, هَلْ جَزَاءُ الْإِحْسَانِ إِلَّا الْإِحْسَانِ The way you pay them is with ihsan. But how do they pay back Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The answer is Balhum and Dikri Rabbihim Mu'ridun that they turn away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not only do they turn away from the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they deny the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala altogether. So this is the message that is being given to them. Surah Al Anbiya, the surah that we are in currently, is a surah Makkiyah. And the message that is being given to them is a da'wah ila Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're being called towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At times Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala encourages them. Inna rahmati sabaqad ghadabi. Encouragement comes from the ayat of rahmah. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions the aspect of him being merciful. But at the same time, wa anna adabi huwa al-adabu al-alim. When the ayat of punishment are mentioned, and right after them the ayat of adab. That the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indeed a very severe punishment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at times in the Surah, surah Makiyah will mention the aspects of Jannah and all the blessings that will be granted in Jannah. And at the same time, the aspect of Jahannam hellfire will be mentioned and all the tortures and the discomforts of the hellfire will also be mentioned. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling them towards, towards Him. And not only had they been given the merciful aspect of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they had been given mercy in the form of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as well. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِتُمْ حَرِيصٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَعُوفُ الرَّحِيمُ That you have been granted a prophet who very much wants your hidayah. And when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, the, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saw the pain, that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to go through after their denial. He said, إِنَّكَ لَا تَهْدِي مَنْ أَحْبَبْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ يَهْدِي مَنْ يَشَاءَ That, O oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Hidayah is not in your hands. It's your task to give them the message and the aspect of giving Hidayah to mankind belongs only and only in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, قُلْ مَنْ يَكْلَأُكُمْ بِاللَّيْلِ وَالنَّهَارِ مِنَ الرَّحْمَانِ that even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showering them with His mercy, their response is turning away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And not only are they turning away from Allah, they are turning away, uh, they are putting hindrances in the path of those who want to gain recognition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions 
أم لهم آلهة تمنعهم من دوننا لا يستطيعون نصر أنفسهم ولا هم منا يسحبون So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala calls them out that what is it that you have? You know when a person has something in his, in his hand and then he denies something you know when you're offered something and you say no thank you no thank you I'm not in need of what you're offering when do we do that? when you're fairly confident that the thing you have is better than what he's offering you you know our parents and in some cases our grandparents you know many of us there may be someone who's first generation we rarely ever come across anyone who's second generation in this part of the world but when they came to this country what did they want to acquire? they wanted to acquire wealth were they successful? I believe they were because the Asian American community I don't know what the statistics are but they're presented as a model community crime is the least amongst them uh, they're the least disturbing of the people that are around them they, they, they contribute to society more than anyone else so when they came to, to this part of the world the intention was wealth and they became successful in what they intended but at the same time you see that a certain group of people they changed after they came here and around them was an environment of what? Christianity, Judaism and all the other religions that we see around us obviously the general environment here is of atheism nobody believes in the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but what is it that held them steadfast on the aspect of Islam and in the, on the aspect of believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because the thing that we had the thing that we are carrying we think of it as better so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling them and asking them that what is it that you have? Do you have something better? Do you have better protection in any other entity than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? أَمْ لَهُمْ آلِهَةٌ تَمْنَعُهُمْ مِن دُونِنَا Do they have entities or gods that can protect them? Protect them from what? From the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions لَا يَسْتَطِيعُونَ نَصْرَ أَنفُسِهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ مِنَّا يُسْحَبُونَ But reality is that the thing that you worship cannot even help itself. Even if a fly were to come and sit upon its surface, do you think it can sweat at it? And that is why Ibrahim alayhi salam, he, he used to ask the idols, فَجَعَلَهُمْ جُذَاذًا إِلَّا كَبِيرًا لَهُمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ إِلَيْهِ يَرْجِعُونَ He used to say, مَا لَكُمْ لَا تَنْطِقُونَ What is it with you? He, and he used to call out the idols in front of the people who would worship them. He would say to the idols, what is it with you? Why don't you talk? Why don't you eat? And the, the trick that he played with them when the entire uh, nation of his, they left for the carnival, he stayed behind. <coughs> he said, Inni saqim. I'm sick. I cannot accompany you to the festival. And what did he do from behind? He broke all the idols. After that, فَجَعَلَهُمْ جُذَاذًا إِلَّا كَبِيرًا لَهُمْ لَعَلَّهُمْ إِلَيْهِ يَرْجِعُونَ He placed the axe on the shoulder of the largest idol. Now when they come back, he said, who did this? مَنْ فَعَلَ هَذَا بِآلِهَتِنَا يَا إِبْرَاهِيمِ Like Saman Ibrahim. He's the one who has a problem with their idols. So they bring him forth. And he says, okay, why don't you ask the one who has the axe on his shoulder? What would be the response? You know he can't talk. That's how he would destroy their mentality. So, he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you are worshipping something that is unable to help itself. It cannot even help itself. And just a day before, it was a rock, a piece of rock. And a human being took it and molded it in a shape and form as he pleased. That's what, what sculptors naturally normally do. That whatever shape you like, 
You make that shape. That is why Umar an, when he was made Khalifa, his Khilafah extended over two thirds, two thirds of the world. And later on during his Khilafah time, he used to laugh at himself. And he used to say, Oh Umar, your reality was that you were a person who used to work for his khala, for his aunt. And you would work the entire day and at the end of the day, she would give you some dates. You would take those dates and you would make an idol, a small little model of an idol out of those dates. And you used to worship the idol. And then when you would get hungry, you would eat it. So this is the reality of the idols that they're worshipping. But at the same time, you need to understand that these people, they grew up on this mentality. And, you know, the, the term that we use in Urdu, it's called butfaroshi. Butfaroshi is a term which is used to describe the importance that the people who worship idols have in their heart. Most of you are probably familiar, the ones who are related to the subcontinent, India, Pakistan, you're probably familiar with Mahmoud Ghaznawi. Rahimahullah. Mahmoud Ghaznawi was a king. He was from originally from Afghanistan and he ruled over Afghanistan, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, basically the subcontinent. And he was told that there is an area which is known as Somanat. Somanat was a place where there was the largest idol that the Hindus worshipped. And he was told that the, the Hindus believe that any soul that leaves the body goes and inhabits the body of that idol. It's the largest idol. So Mahmoud Ghaznawi, he left with 30,000 men and the intention was to destroy the idol. Now obviously uh, in this current day and age there's a lot of propaganda that's being used against the Muslims and they try to portray these kings as the most oppressive people and a lot of historians specifically not Muslims obviously have pointed to the fact that Mahmoud Ghaznawi was a greedy individual who wanted the gold that was inside the idol. I think he had more than enough gold to suffice him. So Mahmoud Ghaznawi left with, with 30,000 men and the intention was to break the idol. When he reached that city, the, the priests, they came out to meet him and they insisted that we will hand over the keys of the city to you without any resistance. But you have to agree to one thing. What is that thing? You will not touch the idol. So the people, the advisors of the king, they said, leave the idol. Because the resistance which we will face from these people if we intend to destroy their idol is something that we cannot counter. Mahmoud Ghaznawi at that time said something which was extremely historical. He said that I want to be remembered as a person who is butchikin. Butchikin is a person who breaks the idols. He said I want history to remember me as a person who breaks the idols, not as a person who sells the idols. And that's how people remember Mahmoud Ghaznawi to this day. But they were willing to sacrifice everything. They were willing to sacrifice everything just so that their idol cannot be harmed. They're willing to hand over their city. They're willing to hand over their dwellings, everything that they had. Take everything, leave our idol be. That is the connection that Shaitan had made them form with their idols. And if you want to, why do you think photography is forbidden and it's haram in Islam? Because it has deep roots that connect back to idol worshipping. That when the people of the past, specifically during the time of Nuh when they started to paint pictures, the initial idea was to remember the ancestors. That's how the statement is. Just something minor, 
by which I can remember you. I'm sure most of you are familiar with relics. People keep relics. So when they travel to a specific area, they usually try to buy fridge magnets. Why do they do that? So that they, they can remind themselves that, you know, once upon a time, I did something cool. Um, so the people of that time, they said that the intention behind painting these pictures is so that we can remember our forefathers and keep them alive within our hearts. That's stage number one. So they painted pictures. Stage number two, they said that we can put these pictures in prominent areas. Why? Because these pictures will remind us of the pious predecessors. So it's, there's still a limit. They haven't reached the part where they, they've started worshipping the form or the picture. Then they said that these people were connected to Allah. So why not we use their name as you see happening now in the subcontinent. People go to mazars and all kinds of uh, shirk going on on, on these sites. Um, I, I still remember to this day, uh, I studied in Pakistan, studied in Karachi. I lived there for about, give or take, 10, ten years. Well, when I came back, I met a brother in my masjid, uh, and he said that, you know, it's, it's very good that you studied deen and religion and whatever, but, you know, please stay away from shirk. I, I was confused. I didn't know what he meant. Then he met me uh, a couple of days later, he repeated the same thing again. And then again and again, I asked him, what do you mean by shirk? He said, because all of your people, your people is a dangerous statement. <laughs> he said, all of your people worship graves. I'm like, subhanAllah, that's what the outside world thinks about us. Because of the way we, we continuously portray them on, on you know, media outlets, and then they have days, all kinds of weird bid'at. Even the terms are not familiar when you hear them. Uh, so he said, yeah, to stay away from church. So now if you have a few ignorant people in the villages worshipping graves, that doesn't mean you could sort of implement that on the entire subcontinent or all the people are like this. That type of statement is a dangerous one. So they said, let us keep these relics so that we, thereby we could connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And look at the game that shaitan is playing. And then eventually it's like, okay, let's make statues out of these pious people and start worshipping them. And that's how they turn into their gods. Na'udhu billah. So idol worshipping, it has a deep connection with shaitan himself. Because the pact that shaitan made is uh, You know when he sought some brief time from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the answer or the reply that was given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that you have been given some time. And, and then what did he say? That it's my task, it's, the task description is that I will make sure that I will lead each and every single one of them astray. You know, normally in, 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 in this worldly life, we have a designation of enemies. So we have like enemy territories. Here in this part of the world, obviously, we don't have that type of a perception. But it's like a certain household that you can't go to. Your parents are like, Why? I don't know, why are we putting such ideologies in the, the pure minds of children? So that's considered the, the enemy territory. And we have certain designations, like things that we consider problems in our life. For some odd reason, the way shaitan has played with us, 
we never think of shaitan as a problem. It's, is this something that we keep on hearing over and over again? Shaitan is like this evil entity. It's like, and we have like this imagination in our mind. But have we sought the means that are necessary to get the protection from shaitan himself? Or the tax that he plays with us? The, the, the mafum of the hadith is, Inna shaitana yajri fil insan dam. The way shaitan run, runs like, like the blood through your veins. That's how he, he, he sort of influences your thought process. So shaitan is a real enemy. The, and the answer that was given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is even dangerous. It says, That jahannam will be filled with you and, your, and the people who follow you. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us ever from following shaitan. So one of the, the main uh, description of a Muslim is believing in wahdaniyatullah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Believing in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, one of the biggest issues with the current generation is that, and I've heard this multiple times myself, is why, why should we believe in something that we cannot see? And, you know, this, on, on the surface, it may just seem as a statement that's given and the person can turn and walk away. But behind this statement is the investment of shaitan of years and years. He's been working upon that individual. And you would be surprised at the, at the number of youngsters that have this type of, of mentality and ideology. The reasoning behind it is nobody gave them the proper mindset. They are living in a society in which if they were to behave the way they are, they would be considered abnormal. It won't be normal. And, and you are familiar with, with the, the cruelty of the society, the bullying culture that's out there in the schools. Hence, they try everything that is in their power to hide their identities as Muslims. So, on the surface, they try to portray themselves as someone who doesn't want to stand out. They don't want to be known as Muslims. And when they come back home, what is the environment of the home? You have your father who's heading out for salah. He may even have a beard. The mother is sitting on the musalla. She's praying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Can you imagine the mental torture this youngster goes through? And why does he have to pray? Because I told you to pray. Or even the fact that he has to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, the people of the past, and when I say past, I'm not talking too long ago. Even the generation that some of you may be, the mentality they had was more like sami'na wa ata'na. We hear and, and we obey. So even back in the days, if your parents told you to do something, you can't say why. If, if, if your father told you to do something, you, you simply can't ask why. But that has drastically changed in this current generation. They have question after question, then counter question, and then questions that go on. And too much questioning is also not a good thing. Questions are very good because they sort of take away the ignorance or the jahl of mankind itself. But at the same time, some lines of questionings are simply not productive. So hence, we demand from them that they believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Allah that we ourselves were meant to instill the value of in their hearts. And, you know, for some of us who may be uh, confident in our salah, our acts of worship and you think that, you know, we don't have to worry about anything. The problem is 
that the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu states ala kullukum ra'in wa kullukum mas'ulun an ra'iyatihi know that each and every single one of you is responsible and you will be asked about the people who fall under your responsibility so what if what if on the day of qiyamah on the day of judgment the, the same generation drags us down and they ask us that why did you not teach us the basics of islam and why did you all of us all of a sudden start demanding it there's this panic phase that comes when we, when we notice the differences in our children and we see when we see how far away they are we start to panic and when we panic we start to do things um, that can sometimes not be they, they won't be so wise they're not uh, hikmah that's why allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned ud'u ila sabili rabbika bil hikmah call towards allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with wisdom so we need to instill that mentality from a young age where we teach them the basics of Islam. Amantu billahi wa malaikatihi wa kutubihi wa rusulihi wal yawmil akhiri. A lot of times even the adults of our time don't know the basics of Islam. You know, many a times from the platform we're giving beautiful speeches. And in, in America we sort of have a speech culture. And what I mean by the speech culture is that our connection with our masajid since a very young age has been the weekends. So on the weekends, I come from down south, I'm from Texas. So I'm, I'm sharing what I see there, is that on the weekends we bring our children, everyone to the masjid, then we invite a guest speaker over, the guest speaker will give a talk, the older people obviously will listen attentively, but the younger generation is probably outside playing basketball or sitting against the wall not paying attention, then we eat food and we go home. And we think we have completed the responsibility for the entire week. But are, are our children learn, learning the basics of Islam? Do they know who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is? What is the importance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa What is sunnah? Why do, I, why do I have to obey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Why do I have to believe in something that, that I cannot see? You know, one of the, the first criteria mentioned when it came about the descriptions of the, uh, description of the believers, it was alladina yu'minuna bil ghaib. They're the ones that believe in the, the unseen. And our children are asking the question that why should we believe in something that, that we cannot see. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of us. Um, there is no guarantee whatsoever. Even for those of us who may have pious progeny, we should ask first, first off, do shukr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And second, take all the necessary measures that are needed to be taken. All the precautions that are needed to be taken in order for us to instill the, the mentality for them to think like a Muslim. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that لا يستطيعون نصر أنفسهم ولا هم منا يسحبون that these idols are not even able to help themselves let alone help you in your time of need and, and that is why it was the habit of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam that whenever the sahaba they would uh, conquer a territory during the time when the sahaba closer to the time of the conquest of Mecca most of you might be familiar with Fatuh Mecca Fatuh Mecca was when Rasulullah entered the city of Mecca victorious. It was the same city that he was exiled from and now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given him power over the people. So the first thing, the first instruction that was given was to destroy the idols. And the reason for that was that when they see that the idols have been destroyed and they were able to do no harm to the person that is destroying them, the people themselves would see sense. And that is why one of the Sahabi, Umair ibn Wahab radiallahu an, uh, when he accepted Islam, 
and he was sent by Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to destroy the idol of this shara. This shara was an idol which was in the middle of a body of water, extremely large. It's a habit of the people who worship idols that they usually have like one large idol in a city center somewhere and they all worship it. It's the larger idol. It's considered the god of all gods. Naudu billah. So the order that was given to him by Rasulullah was to destroy it. And his wife said that how can I let you go near the idol? Because the idol will harm you. And what the reply that he, that he gave was Tabban laki wali this shara. Destruction be for you and for the idol. And he destroyed it. And the entire city accepted Islam. So this was the standing instruction that was given by Rasulullah to destroy the idols first. And many a times, you know, there's a, um, a very adabi statement that's given in Urdu. It's like, Dil ke but ko torna. Dilon ke andar jo but. Uh, and you know, honestly, we sometimes do harbor a lot of idols within our hearts as well. You know, we have uh, a but, a dolat ka but dil mein hota hai. Accumulation of wealth. It's, it's a love that we have. Hubbul jah, fame. Having a name for yourself. And all the other things out there that we desire or we deeply desire. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned, اِعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا لَعِبٌ وَلَهُونَ وَزِينَةٌ وَتَفَاخُرٌ بَيْنَكُمْ وَتَكَاثُرٌ فِي الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ That know that this worldly life is nothing but a deception. It's just a competition in which you're competing with each other. My friend has a good car, I have to have a good car as well. My brother bought a house, I'm also going to buy a house. We're just competing with each other and eventually we die. We do so much for this worldly life. You know, we have our entire lives mapped out in front of us. You know, here when we look at the example of the idols, we understand that they're flimsy and they have no power whatsoever. Similarly, the other things that are here in this world that distract us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you, if you were to ponder over the essence of those things, you would realize that they're very similar to these idols. Their example is very similar to these idols. Why? Because number one, they're not loyal. When you need them in a dire time of need, will they be there? No. They will never be there. You know, the example, and I, I remember mentioning it once before, there's a qawl of Hatim al-Asam rahimahullah. He, he mentions, Inni nadartu ila al-khalq. I, I looked towards the creation. فَرَأَيْتُ كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ يُفَارِقُ مَحْبُوبَهُمْ I found that each and every single one of them is forced to depart from his beloved things. You know, we, we, we accumulate things, objects, watches, cars, sometimes even homes for the people who are extremely rich. Uh, and and we, we keep these prized possessions close to us. So he says that, uh, I found that people, they accumulate possessions, and what else do they accumulate? Relationships. So they have people that are beloved to them. So, but I realized that none of them is permanent. I found that each and every single one of them is forced to depart from that beloved thing. You know, for those of us who might have experienced the death of a loved one, I'm sure you can realize how it is. It's something that, that is out of your hands. It's out of your control. You can't control it. And they're taken away from you. So he says that I noticed, فَرَأَيْتُ كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ يُفَارِقُ مَحْبُوبَهُ 
that I found that each and every single one of us is forced to depart from those, those things that we invest so much in. How much time does it take to cultivate a relationship? You know, you reach a certain point with someone, and, you know, many times when we're going through, uh, when you have a broken heart, or, or you're going through separation, it could be a friend, someone who's dear to you, and you thought they were, they were a sincere friend, but they were not so sincere. The first thought that comes to your mind is, how much time did I spend? How much, in, how much of an investment this was? And turns out it was fruitless. So he says that, فَرَأَيْتُ كُلَّ وَاحِدٍ يُفَارِقُ مَحْبُوبَهُ You're forced to depart from the objects that you have, and you're also forced to depart from these beloved relationships that you acquire in this world. So then he says, what's the solution? Is it okay to love something? He says, فَاتَّخَثْتُ لِنَفْسِي خَلِيلًا لَا يُفَارِقُنِ So what did I do? My course of action was to choose for myself a friend which will never depart. What friend is that? <coughs> it's my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He mentions my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's something that can never ever be taken. It's not like the, the worship of the idols. They're here one day and they will not be here the next day. So it's my relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and salihul a'mal. The a'mal al-saliha that I accumulated in this world. It comes in the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When the son of Adam, idha mata ibn Adam, when he passes away, the angels, the munkar and nakir, they come around for questioning. And they try to come from the head. So the a'mal al-saliha that you've been doing in this, wor- in this world, they go towards your head in a form of protection. They say, لَيْسَ بِكَ إِلَيْهِ سَبِيلٌ You don't have a correct path towards this person. If you want to come to him, you have to go through me. لَيْسَ بِكَ إِلَيْهِ The angels, they try to come from the other side, from the left, from the right. So these a'mal, they form a protection around you. On, on, contrary to that, have you ever heard of anyone who was able to take his prized possession with him to the grave? <coughs> Imagine if a person tried putting an iPhone with his deceased relative so that they could stream YouTube. Astaghfirullah. Even makes, saying it out loud sounds ridiculous. So none of these things are going to go with you. Even, even the son who cannot bear for a second that, that harm may befell his father. You know, normally, as is the customary habit, if your father enters a room, you're sitting on a chair or a sofa, what do you do? You leave that chair for him. This is the amount of respect we give to our parents. Uh, you cannot bear that they sleep on the floor. You make sure that you, you, you provide comfortable bedding to them. But when they die, what do we do? We pick them up and we place them on dust. Have you ever heard of anyone who placed a mattress there so that they could be comfortable? No. We never do that. So one day, the day, maybe just the previous night, they were here in this world, you know, we, we made sure that they were comfortable. They slept on the, on the softest mattress that we could find, the best pillow that we could find. And the next night, when they're in their grave, they're lying on dust. This is, you've been created from dust. You will be returned back to dust and you will be resurrected once again one day from dust. I still remember to this day um, when my grandmother passed away. Um, as you know, in, in, in those countries, the janazah goes from the home. They usually bring the loved ones. Uh, one thing that really struck me is that is, is the amount of comfort people have with death over there. They're very, very comfortable with death. Uh, so the janazah goes from home. So when my grandmother passed away, the men, they took the janazah, they buried it and they came back. So 
they brought back the coffin with them as you know it's the possession of the masjid over there so one of my uh, one of my popos she she asked them why did you bring this back they said it's the masjids and it's like what about our mother did you place anything underneath her she said no we placed her on dust then she started crying that the mother that you know we made sure that she has no discomfort whatsoever in this worldly life but the next day when they pass away we pick them up we place them in the dust and we get back out we put dust on their face and we come home and sleep in our comfort this is a system that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has. so nothing is permanent that is a lesson that is being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that believe in an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the direct conversation between Allah and the people of Makkah الدعوه الى الله سبحانه وتعالى that believe in an entity which will never forsake you believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believe in everything which is permanent which will serve you in this world and in the life hereafter you know the the the, the connection that we normally have uh, with good deeds in this world or the reason why we do them is so that we can have a good life in the hereafter but a lot of times we don't understand that the, the good effects or the positivity of our good deeds or our hasanat also affects us in this worldly life Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran مَنْ عَمِلَ صَالِحًا مِنْ ذَكَرٍ وَأُنْثَى وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَلَنُحِيَّنَّهُ حَيَاتًا طَيِّبًا that whoever good de- does good deeds in this worldly life and they're, and they're mu'min, they're believers that's obviously the first criteria iman that's been said by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what does Allah say? فَلَنُحِيَّنَّهُ حَيَاتًا طَيِّبًا we will most assuredly there's no ta'kid here Nun ta'kid is used for emphasis. فَلَنُحِيَّنَّهُ حَيَاتٍ طَيِّبًا will give them a beautiful worldly life. And, and you know, our, our concept of a life or a good worldly life is money. That, that's, not what Allah, that's not the criteria that's being set by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's more like having a peaceful life in which there less, there's less worry and concern and less stress. So, and then... The order is being given to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. قُلْ إِنَّمَا أُنْذِرُكُمْ بِالْوَحْيِ وَلَا يَسْمَعُ الصُّمَّ الدُّعَاءَ أَيْذَا مَا يُنْذَرُونَ That say to them, O Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, this is a command. قُلْ is فِعْلُ الْأَمْرِ And for those of you who, have, who might have studied uh, some form of nahav, you probably know فِعْلْ amr is مُعْرَبْ or مَبْنِي I see the first year students here. So. This is a question that I asked them today in the exam. So Fa'lul Amr is Mabniun ala Sukun. So Qul is the order for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Innama Undirukum Bilwahi that the warning is being given to you. I am giving you the warning, but is it the entity of Rasulullah that's giving the warning? No. I am passing on the message, the warning is being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the form of communication that's being used is Wahi, it's the book, it's Quran, it's the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's being said that Innama undirukum bil wahi wala yasma'u summud dua'a idha ma yundarun. But the problem is, you know, there's a there's a shi'r in, in Arabic. Lakad asma'ata launa dayta hayyan. Walakin la hayata limantunadi. That you would have been heard, your voice would have been heard, your advice would have been heeded. Provided you were calling out to a person who was alive. The problem is, La hayata limantunadi. The person that you're calling out, he's not even alive. So that's the example being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wala yasma'u summud dua'a idha ma yundarun. 
That a person who cannot hear, a person who, whose hearing has been hindered by shaitan himself, how is it possible for him to heed the warning that is being given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? You know, there's a very, very interesting point here that Allah did not mention the eyes. Neither did He mention the tongue. None of the five senses were mentioned except for the hearing. Why? Hearing is something that we do from a very young age. How do you think we learn how to speak? Because we hear. So that, that's one of the first abilities that we have as, as babies, as infants. And then, hearing is a sense that stays with you at all times. So even when you're sleeping, how do they wake you up? They call out. If, if, anyone, if you were sleeping and some, a, a scary incident was unfolding before you without any noise, would you wake up? Just imagine for a second that there was a scary incident unfolding before you, but you couldn't hear anything. Would you wake up? But if you add sound to that, what happens? You, probably, you would probably bolt from your sleep. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mentioning, so Allah mentioned the sense which is always there with the human being. But they cannot hear you because their hearing has been hindered by shaitan himself. And so whatever you're doing, you're calling out to them, you're, try, you're trying to warn them, you're trying to instill the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they cannot hear you as the shair said, وَلَكِنْ لَا حَيَاتَ لِمَنْ تُنَادِي Sadly, the person that you're calling out is not even alive. And then, inshallah, the last ayah before we conclude. وَلَئِنْ مَسَّتْهُمْ نَفْحَةٌ مِّنْ عَذَابِ رَبِّكَ لَيَقُولُنَّ يَا وَيْلَنَا إِنَّا كُنَّا ظَالِمِينَ And here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that if they were to be afflicted with just a whiff of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not complete punishment. Because if you look at the examples of the complete punishment that Allah has mentioned in the Qur'an, they are very, very severe. فَأَخَذَتْهُمُ الرَّجْفَةُ فَأَصْبَحُوا فِي دَارِهِمْ جَاثِمِينَ فَجَعَلْنَا عَالِيَهَا سَافِلَهَا وَأَمْطَرْنَا عَلَيْهِمْ حِجَارَةً مِنْ سِجِيلٍ We turn their bottom up and their up bottom. May Allah protect us. SubhanAllah. I mean, just imagine for a second if something like that ever happens. عَالِيَهَا سَافِلَهَا وَأَمْطَرْنَا And then on top of that, Rocks were rained down upon them. That's why, you know, there is the aspect of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but at the same time, the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can be very, very painful. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect all of us from the punishment of Allah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that they have not even been afflicted by, a, by complete punishment. It's just a whiff of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, that if they were afflicted or tormented, by just the minutest form of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their response will be that indeed we were the wrongdoers. But the problem, there's two things that we need to take into consideration. Number one, Allah mentioned nafhatun. Nafha is a, a slight breeze. It's a slight breeze uh, and it's not at all harmful. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that it's just a slight breeze of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the second part is the, the weak foundation that these people are standing on. The ones who don't believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That the moment they see signs of the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will say that we were the wrongdoers. But the problem is sadly that when the punishment comes down, it's too late. 
That's the problem. Either the punishment is happening in the grave, there's no coming back. Or it's happening in the hereafter. We know the example of the hereafter. People will plead with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Oh Allah, let me go back. Why? I will go back and this time I will be good. I will do everything that's right. I will do everything that will please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's the response? Kalla. No. It will most assuredly not happen. Why? These are just words that he's saying now to escape the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The moment they get back, they will revert to their old ways. And this is the reality of the human being. I'll conclude with that remark. This is the reality of the human being that we as a creation are weak. And that's why it's mentioned that we seek the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even when it comes to ita'atullah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are seeking the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that help can be given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, many a times there's people who need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to turn away from, from, from the path of wrongdoing and disbelief and not believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then there's many people who need the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to stay on the right path. You know, there's many types of sabr, multiple types of sabr that are mentioned. One of them is as-sabru inda shada'id, it's having patience when afflicted uh, with a calamity. One of them is as-sabru ala ta'a, it's remaining steadfast, remaining patient on the obedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, to give us the tawfiq to always remain on the right path, to remain muwahideen, Believers in the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala And to be able to instill the wahdaniyah, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Within ourselves and also within our hearts as, as the believers um, I believe there is a, a setup for questions I think there is a QR code So we can open the floor for questions now inshallah If someone would directly like to ask a question, you can do that as well, inshallah. Uh, what's the لا أرى له عبارة بالإنجليزية هذه مشكلة أراها أيوة نعم نعم هو شيء آخر هو المدح لرسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ضد ذلك you can just directly ask the question إن شاء الله So there's the goal of 25 million salawat. Um, this is definitely one of the greatest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, if you were to travel around the world actually, you would probably not find um, a similar community where something, where an effort uh, like this is being made. And as we know, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned, أَكْثِرُوا مِنَ الصَّلَاةِ عَلَيَّ 
frequently send salawat upon Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You know, when we think about uh, our way of showing appreciation for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam is through salawat, because we say sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or even Allahumma salli ala Muhammad or Allah send peace and and blessings upon Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We also make the dua, Jazallahu anna Muhammadan ma huwa ahluhu, that Allah grants him the reward that he deserves from the treasures of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, so salawat is something, we're trying to reach the goal of uh, 25 million salawat, and it's very, very important that we keep count of it. You know, normally we try to hide our good deeds, specifically in places where you might fear riyah. Here you could submit it anonymously. So at least we have the idea that we have reached our goal. And that serves as a form of encouragement. Even when it comes to sadaqah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions, in tubdu sadaqati fani That if you were to make it apparent, it's a very good thing. And if you hide it, that's even better. So the, the mufassirin have mentioned that the aspect of uh, spending when it comes to the faraid, for example, when you have zakat, deductible, that should be spent openly so it serves as a form of encouragement. So even here, I mean, there's no, uh, there's no room here for riyah itself. Riyah means when you're doing something to show off. You can submit it anonymously. Inshallah, that way we'll know whether we have reached our goal of 25 million salawat. And the reason why salawat, the goal of 25 million salawat is, is there is for the sixth annual Sira conference. And uh, it, it, it will happen on, on Friday, November 11th, uh, and also Saturday, November 12th, inshallah. And this is again a way of forming the connection. You know, when we started off, we mentioned that it's, it's one of the greatest privileges that we have to have a connection with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The reason why I gave that reminder was for us to refresh the reason why we're sitting here and to understand the value of the time that we're putting here, that we've been granted the opportunity to develop a bond and a connection with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, Attending such gatherings where there is the mention of Rasulullah, the legacy of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi You know, all of us, we claim to be the, the lovers of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So the love of Rasulullah will definitely increase if we come to a gathering where the mention of Rasulullah is being mentioned frequently. Additionally, there is the, the youth night, uh, which is happening October 31st, inshallah. It's for boys and girls ages 5 and 16, inshallah. And also the winter intensive. I believe there is a discount which is being offered for the purchase of tickets beforehand. So you could go ahead and do it now. It's a three-day academic intensive covering important contemporary and intellectually stimulating uh, topics. The, the topic is very, very important. It's maintaining morality. And it's definitely something which is extremely beneficial for people of younger ages, the ones who face the storm of all the fitna outside. So we should definitely try to mark our calendars with that, inshallah. Allahumma laka alhamduka ma yambaghi li jalali wajhik wa azimi sultanik. Allahumma laka alhamduka ma anta ahluh wa fa'al bina ma anta ahluh. Fa'innaka ahlul taqwa wa ahlul maghfira. Allahumma la nuhsi thana'an alayk anta kama athnayta ala nafsik. Allahumma laka alhamduka ma yambaghi li jalali wajhik wa azimi sultanik. Allahumma salli ala muhammadin abdika wa rasulik. Wa salli ala al-mu'minina wal-mu'minat wal-muslimina wal-muslimat. Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taghfillana wa tarhamna. لنكوننا من الخاسرين 
اللهم إنا ظلمنا على أنفسنا ظلما كثيرا وإنه لا يغفر الذنوب إلا أنت فاغفر لنا مغفرة من عندك وارحمنا إنك أنت الغفور الرحيم ربنا تقبل منا وتب علينا يا مولانا إنك أنت التواب الرحيم اللهم إنا نسألك الجنة ونعوذ بك من النار اللهم إنا نسألك الهدى والتقى والعفاف والغنى اللهم إنا نسألك علما نافعا وعملا متقبلا ورزقا واسعا وشفاء من كل داء وصلى الله تعالى على خير خلقه محمد وآله وصحبه أجمعين ورحمتك يا رحم الرحمن